DJ PK and Dave Rose joining us. The former BYU basketball head coach is on the Sprint special guest line. Sprint makes it safe and easy to get what you need online. Please visit Sprint.com for online services and local store availability. Dave, good morning. Good morning. How are you doing, guys? We're doing well. I've got a bunch of topics to talk to you about, but one I want to get started with, you know, I've, I've not only watched The Last Dance, but then I've watched people talk about The Last Dance the last couple of days, and I always talk about how, you know, someone who's 25 years old would have been three when Jordan hit the shot, right, to beat the Jazz in 98 and win the sixth title. So they watched The Last Dance and really learned a lot about Jordan, and I wondered if people like you who made a living in the game, but you know you had to recruit and run a program and hire assistants and deal with whatever craziness happened in the off season and like how much did you miss of the NBA in that era? Because you know you were working, you had your own team, and if you watched the Last Dance, how much did it fill in for you? And and how much did you get kind of you know by osmosis? And you already knew. Well, I mean, you, you, the, the great the great thing about it was that you watched it all, okay, and you you remember it, you remember the. You know the '63 that he got at the Garden. You know, I mean, all the the highlights of his career that they showed in that Last Dance. You remember watching it, but it was all the all the backstories to it that uh, were so interesting to me. I mean, because obviously I wasn't three when uh, right. that was going on. I was, you know, in my mid what mid forties, probably maybe. And uh, so I. Uh, but but I you know I, I, I obviously as a as a spectator just idolized Michael and what he could do and how he did it and then living here in Utah and watching him do it to our Jazz at the best point in 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 the franchise's history you know with Carl and and John and and uh, it was just it's just amazing the probably my favorite part of the. Uh, uh, you know, the whole documentary was season seven, the last 10 minutes or so of that, when other players were trying to show the respect that he deserves because he is the greatest of all time and played with them, been around him, but then tried to tell the truth about what it was really like uh, to be around him and, and how he pushed people and, uh, made this game about one thing, period, and that was winning championships and uh, what he had to do to make that happen. And uh, I mean, then he, you know, they end it with, with him getting kind of emotional because I, you know, he realizes that uh, you know he 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 probably lost a few friends and made a lot of enemies with his pursuit of trying to be uh, the, the greatest champion of all time. Now, you played with a couple of great players in Olajuwon and Drexler, and you coached some very good players, obviously. Do you see anything that is common amongst those people? Well, I joke with those two guys all the time. Is You know, uh, Clyde and Hakeem, it's a good thing Michael wanted to play baseball or they wouldn't have a ring themselves because uh, <laughs> the they won eight in a row, you know. <laughs> but uh, he, th- th- those, uh, the, the one thing – Clyde reminds me a, uh, a little bit of, uh, um, of of Michael, and it was funny to, to watch Michael kind of talk about Clyde in, in in what I felt was maybe a little bit of a disrespectful way uh, that he For was sure. nowhere close to the level that he was. Um, and you know, it, it's funny because my wife's watching it with me, and she's just going, "Man, how can a guy say stuff like that?" And to me, that was the beauty of the whole episode. He was really honest. He, he he told 
from his heart what he felt about Gary Payton and, I mean, just some of the guys who uh, he played against. And uh, uh, it's uh, – but, 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 but Clyde was a guy who he, he kind of – just really uh, kind of concerned himself with his game and then us winning games. Um, and uh, that, that's probably a, a similar comparison to what I watched with, with Jordan. So Jordan just came across as so incredibly ruthless. Are other elite players, you know, 80% of that ruthless? Is that part of being it? Or is that really something to Jordan that makes him different and makes him stand out from other elite players? Well, I don't, I don't know. I, I just don't know if, if today's player would put up with a guy like that. And uh, it's just it's a different time. Uh, it's a different era. Kids are brought up differently as far as, um, the, uh, you know, the – the best player in California and the best player in New York, they, they, they know, they've known each other since they were you know, 12, 13 years old. They've played against each other in tournaments all over the, the country. They're, they're a lot more uh, friendly to each other. They know each other better. I think that you, know, you take LeBron's run through the NBA is so much different than Michael's run through the NBA. And, uh, and and obviously he's been really successful and won himself championships at different franchises. But, I mean, for what Michael did at that time with that franchise, I mean, it was a franchise that was awful. They they were they they were just the you know uh, uh, a group of guys fielding a team to compete against in the NBA, and uh, he took that group and and made it one of the you know the, the best dynasties in the history of sport of any kind worldwide talk about how players are different today we've spoken about this uh, now in retrospect uh, since you're out but still have the knowledge of the game and that's as far as players transferring you look at a program like up at utah has got another kid who's going to transfer here who was in the rotation most likely would have been in the rotation they're trying to build something and they take a couple of steps back and one step forward type of thing with these transfers Anything can be done. To slow this. Well, it's so it's so hard, and you know tomorrow is a huge day in the whole transfer because uh, there's a vote. They're going to vote to see if uh, every player in the NCAA gets one free transfer. It's like a mulligan in golf. I mean, you get uh, the the first one, you get a chance to transfer without having to sit out a year. And you know everyone thinks well the majority of people think it's not going to pass but it's going to a vote and when it goes to a vote you never know what's going to happen on wednesday morning you know there could be uh thousands of uh kids that want to you know try somewhere else because they don't have to sit out and uh for a year so that so we'll see that that that'll be a, a big deal because a lot of kids obviously um you know don't want to spend a year uh you know without playing competitively with the, with the season and so uh that won't slow it down that's for sure slowing it down will be the vote against that a little bit but uh i don't think that um it, it's so hard because you know everybody everybody is so focused on themselves first the team second and, and that's all i really tried to do in the whole 36 years that i was coaching was trying to make guys put the team first and then themselves second 
and then the success of the team would would bring them all of what they wanted, their personal goals, because that's how it worked in my life. I mean, I was a good high school player and got a chance to play junior college, and then ended up at a, one of the, the one of the best teams in the history of. Uh, collegiate basketball we went on 26 games in a row we were number one ranked number one for eight or nine weeks in a row and played for the national championship and that success of that team helped me in my career since the day we lost the game to north carolina state in albuquerque and so that's what i tried to communicate to players all the way through and it got tougher and tougher because uh if you hear when 865 kids transfer every year the first thing they say is, hey, I've got to do what's best for me and my family and what I feel. And in reality, I, I've always felt like the most important thing is what's best for your team. And if you, and if you play it that way, that that, will, uh, that success of your team will guide you, uh, you know, in the future like it did for me. So I'm curious what happened with transfers at BYU because there was an era when multiple teams, but certainly football and men's basketball, didn't get many, if any, uh, transfers or grad transfers in. And now it seems like things have really loosened up. We've seen it both in football and men's basketball, and it seems to be working. What changed? Who changed it? How did it happen? Well, I, I think the, 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 the best guy to ask that question to is probably Tom, because uh, you know Tom went through a period where he kind of discouraged his coaches from actually – going out there because there wasn't really a place to put them. I mean, you just take this for example. At one time, that the, the last application to a, uh, a graduate department uh, deadline, as far as the date was concerned, was like February 25th. So if you didn't have your application into the graduate school by February 25th, you couldn't get a kid enrolled into the program. Well, February 25th, the basketball season is not even over yet, and the grad transfers haven't even – put their names out there as far as being able to uh, be eligible to be recruited. And so uh, obviously that rule has softened a little bit because now, um, you know, the, the, not only the football team, but the basketball team is involved with grad transfers. I had one in my career and it was, it was uh, the son of one of my former teammates who I was best friends with. And, uh, you know, if we ever tried to document how that happened and, and how many times he was told that, uh, it wasn't going to happen. And how many times I told his dad, hey, just hang in there. We're going to try and get this done. Uh, if I was recruiting the kid, uh, and he would have left a long time ago. But since his dad really wanted him to play for me, uh, it worked for us. And LJ was uh, a really good player for us until he got hurt. But I think that the philosophy of the athletic department, they just realized that that is a huge part of today's recruiting. I mean, that transfer portal is absolutely essential to the ability to be able to put your team together late after things have happened. If you've got guys that are transferring and leaving you because of whatever reason, you got to be able to replace that somehow and be able to go and grab a guy here or grab a guy there. And, uh, I think uh, the athletic department has done a great job with the administration of the university to be able to find a way to start getting these guys in there. I'm wondering if you see any any danger in this path to go down because it's sort of like with the freshmen and the one-and-dones. If you start going heavy on that, then you're basically committing 
to go into that almost to the point of every year. Like the same thing if you recruit these one and dones like Sean Miller has been doing. And so they're not getting the team success because these guys are coming in there. They're not necessarily ready and mature. And then they take off. The other side, they are maybe ready and mature. But if you're going to invest a lot of time in them, they're only going to be there for one year. So you see any problems going down that road too much? Well, it's it's so it's so hard because it's such a delicate balance. Uh, I don't think that in BYU's situation, I don't think there's any way that you can make that your your top priority as far as that's what you're going to build your program around is signing one year guys. You know, uh, the fact that you've always got to have uh, you know freshmen, the, the the best, especially the you know the best LDS freshmen around the country. You got to find them and and bring them in and then kind of massage them and mold them until they're ready to help you play, and hopefully they're still around by then. But uh, I, I do know that there's buddies of mine, you know, in the business that are getting two, three, four a year, and that puts a ton of pressure on them to do the same thing the next year, you know, after they're gone. And it kind of reminds me of the 10 years that I was in junior college. When I was in junior college at Dixie, you know, and we were, you know, trying to get uh, – you know, players every single year to replace either a sophomore that was leaving or a freshman that uh, had qualified and he was leaving. And so uh, way more similar to the recruiting approach and also the, the approach of your team. And we used to put these teams together in junior college for eight months. I mean, that's what you did. You just realized that, hey, let's get the best players we can possibly find, put that team together and then let that team go and then put another team together. And uh, it worked for us in junior college, but I think it, in a four-year school, you, I mean, you just really have to have the core of those good freshmen and then mix in the junior college every once in a while and now these graduate transfers. And, and the actual, you know, we made a pretty good living at BYU off of the, uh, the transfers that sat a year for us. Uh, you know, Eli uh, Bryant sat a year and uh, Chase Fisher sat a year, was a pretty good player for us. And, um you know, uh, it, it, we we had some uh, you know some pretty good guys, Kyle Davis uh, over the years, Matt Carlino. So we, we I mean we made a pretty good living off of having a kid bring them in, sit a year, and work out with our guys and get used to it, and then be ready to play. Um, you know, from that experience. Dave Rose, former BYU basketball head coach, joining us. The uh, NBA has expanded rosters from 12 to 15. Now they've added. 16th and 17th spots with these two-way contracts where guys can make 175 grand. Now there's this G League project. Has the NBA set the bar financially at a place where elite players, and there's no nice way to say this, where elite players are going to make more money in the NBA or the G League than they can make in whatever the under-the-table economy is in college basketball? Because the FBI transcripts have, you know, laid bare some of the stuff and some of the numbers and all that. But I see these multimillion-dollar programs and multimillion-dollar coaching jobs, and I wonder how much it's worth to people to keep their jobs to make sure that whether it comes from a school, a booster, a shoe company, or whoever, that some money gets funneled these guys' way. And it almost... You know, there's money in all things, and it seems like a uh, a race just continues to heat up for cash over these top young players. You know, I, I think that uh, you know, obviously, these kids, um, every one of them, and we're talking about maybe ten or fifteen kids a year, the really high elite guys that everybody's after, to, that people know, 
that are you know only going to play college for a year. Uh, you know, we've had these few kids that have taken the money overseas and gone and and and, and played you mm-hmm. know in Australia or in Europe. And uh, I, I think the, the NBA is tired of chasing those guys all over the country to see how good they really are and where they fit in the next draft. And so what they want to do is keep them close. And so what they've done is kind of anted up. And now they've got uh, some of these kids playing here for half a million dollars or so. But they're going to be, you know, right here uh, in the States. And everybody will have a chance to see them a lot easier. Um, I think that will influence not not a majority of kids, but uh, the majority of that elite group of kids. It'll start to influence those guys because uh, – it's hard. It's hard to make that money up. I mean, you, you miss a year or two of that, of that half a million or that million, and then, you know, you you, you really won't make that money up until your second contract if you really make it, you know, to, to there. And so, um, and and that kind of money. I mean, obviously, fifty thousand, a hundred thousand is a lot of money to, you know, a kid coming out of high school. But a half a million is, uh, you know, a number that uh, these kids will. Uh, put a lot of pressure on them to go grab early uh, to help them, their families, and anybody else who uh, has helped them along the way. We've seen, obviously, finances are a big concern now with this, the world that we're living in and sports are being dropped and all, and there's been all sorts of different ways to recruit. Do you see these things being beneficial to the game and maybe easing some of the pressure of uh, being out on the road for months at a time or weeks at a time? You know, that's a good question. I I, I feel for, you know, a young assistant coach in the business right now because it's really – it's really up in the air on how it's going to go. I mean, uh, I, I think the established head coaches, you do, just kind of, you got to be patient and just see uh, the direction that it's going to go. And then you adjust and adapt to it. But uh, I would have never thought, I mean, I, I can tell you this guys that, you know, I coached for 36 years at the high school level, the junior college level, the, uh, the division one level. And, uh, as a head coach and an assistant coach at all three levels. And I never went to work one day wondering if we were going to play games. I mean, I always knew that was happening. Here comes the schedule. And the first of November, the middle of November, you know, we were going to start and uh, this is what's going to happen. I mean, these, these kids now they're, they're, they're and you know, and the coaches, they're in a, a really unique situation of where, they don't really know for sure if, uh, you know, when their games are going to start and if their games are going to start and how their games are going to start. And that would be a really interesting off season to be a coach is trying to get your guys motivated. I know that the NCAA passed the rule that you don't have to be in school this summer to actually work out at the university, but you got to get these universities open to where the athletes can actually come to the back to the school they don't have to be in class and they don't have to be enrolled like normally, but they have to be able to use the facilities that have been opened by the officials. And that's, um, I mean, it, uh, that's a challenge. And it'll be interesting to see how this plays out. How are they going to evaluate a whole class of high school stars without a normal summer AAU schedule? Man, I have a, a friend of mine who's got a son that's going to be a senior next year. And what, I mean, you start you know, pinpointing groups of people that 
how disappointed you are for it. It never stops. You know, high school seniors that didn't get their graduation or didn't get their prom or it's just uh, who would have ever imagined that this would be where we're at and not not just in sports, but in any part of, uh, you know, life. I mean, just uh, just going to the, the grocery store and, uh, you know, I'm 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 trying to figure out it just intrigues me. Uh, as these as the states start to open up again, that who wears a mask and who doesn't wear a mask and how political it's become. And, you know, for me, a 62-year-old guy that's got, you know, blood sugar issues, it's got heart issues and got, you know, has battled cancer for 11 years, you know, the mask means something completely different to me than it means to, you know, an 18-year-old kid coming out of high school. But uh, I, I do believe that, what we've been through and how this has all happened, that the respect for those who have lost their lives, the respect for those who are battling this thing with the healthcare workers, that uh, it, it, it makes me really think about what I can do to try to help with this thing. But it's affected this whole world in a way that I'd have never imagined. You think now that he's 50, Tim Lacombe is finally going to grow up? <laughs> no, no, that'll never happen. We, you know, we had his uh, uh, a, a kind of a, a dumbed down COVID nineteen birthday party the other night, and uh, but we're still waiting for the big night, and that's when he brings his high school band out yeah. here, and we have the big concert at Valor, and that's that's been postponed, but uh, that that will happen, and I think that's the night that uh, we'll actually be able to. Uh, you know, see the change. He'll 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 be a rock star for a night, and then he'll <laughs> after the next morning he'll wake up and realize, hey, it's it's time to get to work. <laughs> nice. And for people who don't know, there's a whole uh, John Bon Jovi side to his uh, personality that people have no idea. And he is really talented. I'm telling you. I mean, it, it's I I went and listened to his band back in Dallas one night when they played at a high school reunion and. Uh, I mean, he, he was up there for two and a half hours, probably sang 60 different songs, knew the lyrics to every one of them, and uh, had, had a costume change two different times. I mean, he was he was John Bon Jovi for a night that night. <laughs> costume change? What was he, Cher? <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, he had, he had jackets. I mean, it's in Dallas, Texas. It's 95 degrees and 88% humidity, and he's wearing sweatshirts and jackets and uh, T-shirts, and, and he sweat through one. He had to take the other one off. It was good. It was good stuff. Dave, as always, we appreciate a few minutes. Thanks for coming on. All right, guys. Good luck to you. Are you guys together or are you split up? Split up. Are you still split, huh? Yep. PK's broadcast. You got a a date when you're coming back together in the studio? (laughs) No, not yet. It's kind of open-ended right now. That's the one thing I've tried to get used to is trying to communicate on Zoom. Mm -hmm. I don't really know when to talk and when not to talk. So uh, I've found that the best thing to do is just listen most of the time. There you go. There you go. Hey, Dave, thanks for a few minutes. We appreciate it. All right, see you guys. Dave Rose, former BYU basketball head coach, joining us here on 97.5 and 1280 The Zone. All right, when we come back, 
9 o'clock hour. Brad Rock and Matt Chasnow will be here. And uh, Matt is the Washington State Cougars play-by-play voice. So their spring football tour continues with him. Uh, Brad, I think you know. We'll talk some uh, hoops with him. But we got a couple open segments next. You want to react to what Dave was just talking about? Got a question of the day up on Facebook. Sports is on the way back. How happy are you about that? We will get to all of that coming up. DJ and PK is brought to you in part by Zero Res. A clean home is a healthy home, and Zero Res is cleaning carpets right now for just $25 per room. The lowest price is to help out as many people as possible. $25 per room, available while space is available. Call Zero Res today for details and restrictions at 801-288-9376. Now let's get this party started. This is Hans Olsen and Scotty G on the Zone Sports Network. George Nian, kind enough to join us. It sounds like you want to get back out there. You want to play and, and finish the season. For sure. You know, I feel like America needs sports. You yeah. know, America needs entertainment just for their mental well-being. And if, you know, the NBA could lead that resurgency, that would mean a lot. You know, I think the game has a huge impact. If we can continue to impact the world positively, you know, with, you know, stressing the fact that, you know, be healthy, protect yourself, uh, wash your hands, take care of others, and still be able to play, uh, I think we should get out there and do it. Uh, but if it's my gut feeling and I had a gun to my head, I would say that, you know, we're going to finish the season and that's going to happen. Hanson Scotting. Weekdays from 10 to 2 on 97.5, 1280 The Zone and The Zone Sports Network. Join Hanson Scotty G Friday from 10 to 2 at the warehouse, 86 East University Parkway in Orem. Prices so low it'll blow your mind. Just had Dave Rose on and PK. Yeah. His take on basketball, knowing the star stories and knowing he's – I think anytime we talk to a coach or an ex-coach, you know, no matter how many times you talk to them, they're still holding back for, you know, probably 500 different reasons on 90% of the stories they know. Man, when you spend a lifetime immersed in this, you know so much. I mean, Steve Cleveland just a couple weeks ago just – Started dropping Michael Jordan stories left and right. Michael Jordan in Fresno stories left and right. You know, they, they got so many stories from a lifetime of doing this. It is so interesting to talk to these guys when they're really in a mood to just start letting it rip. And, and I don't know that they ever really start letting it rip. I think there's always some stuff you're not supposed to say so they don't say it. Uh, yes, uh, that's for sure. That they'll, And depending on who you, what the format is right. and how much they trust you, now, uh, Dave is one of the guys that I met uh, before I even met him, and that doesn't make any sense, but I'll explain it. Uh, back in the day when I was working for the Watchdog and trying to find out who uh, was recruiting whom, you know, you didn't just log on and see on Twitter, uh, I'm blessed to receive a scholarship offer from fill in the blank, you know. You really had to just scour the phones to try to find out who was what, and a couple of the guys that I would rely on, uh, Norm Parrish, Salt Lake Community, and I think he's coaching at Westminster now, right? And then Dave Rose down at Dixie, and they were junior colleges. So I used to speak to him before I actually met him uh, and uh, got to know him that way. And then, obviously, Steve Cleveland brings him aboard in, like, what, 96, 97, and certainly got to know him then uh, very well and have known him. And I, I just think he's such a great guy. Um, and so, you know, he sure shared some stuff with me over the years that doesn't go anywhere. Uh, but uh, you know, then I'm sure he's got a million, stu- million other things that he hasn't shared. 
And he's talking about we didn't have time, but he was talking about how you know the the way the transfer portal is today. Uh, it reminds him of, of reminiscent of junior college, where you're putting together teams almost on the fly, and you know you're well into the off season, and it's not so pattern where the kids sign on a certain day, and that's your recruiting class, and you go forward. You know what I mean? And that's what you're banking on. They sign in November of their senior years, and then they show up in the summer, and you're on your team. And you've, you've known about it for weeks and months. Well, it's not that way anymore, and you got to be flexible. And I remember him telling me a story. He's in his office one day. This guy shows up, and he looks up, and he looks up, and he keeps looking up all the way to, like, 6'11". <laughs> and the kid says, yeah, I'm interested in playing for your basketball team. And he looks at him, and his eyes are going way to practically to the ceiling. Okay, big fella. And it was Keon Clark who ends up playing in the NBA. And he showed up and played at Dixie. And Dave uh, took him on his team, and he was on the team that year. And then I think he went over to UNLV. And then uh, they had a connection there, a relationship, UNLV and and, uh, Dixie. And then he ends up playing in the NBA for, what, a number of years, right? He's had a bunch of personal problems since then. But nevertheless, that's what you have to be. You have to be fluid. And he's big on the team thing, you know, find a way to contribute to the team rather than find a way to contribute to yourself. Uh, and I can tell you a story that, uh, who was it? Uh, somebody somebody was on the team and then had left and then come back. And I'll just leave it at that. And when it came back, well, four other players showed up in Dave's office. So what does this mean for my shots? <laughs> <laughs> What? And the answer always implied is fewer, because <laughs> otherwise you wouldn't be asking. Yeah, and so that's a, it's it's an interesting balance, and Larry's dealing with it big time there with the U of U. And I know there's a bunch of apologists out there who want to say losing gotch is a snow, it's no big deal, because you got these highly touted freshmen. Well, let me emphasize, freshmen, yes, they may be highly touted, but are they going to be better as freshmen than Gotch would have been as a junior? That remains to be seen. You know, I bring up this example. The Sun Devils kid, Remy Martin, was a junior. Well, he outplayed these two hotshots down at the U of A who are going to go in the first round. And Martin's not even going to get drafted because he's three years into it. And the other guys are just 18 years old as freshmen. And, yeah, they're going to be better pros, and they're going to get their names called in the NBA. But colleges is about winning today. And so losing Gotch is a blow. And I don't care who these freshmen are. Are they going to be lottery picks as these U of A freshmen are projected to be lottery picks? The same U of A freshmen who led their team to a fifth-place finish? Well, they're freshmen. Now, obviously, if those kids had come back, and I don't blame them for not coming back, you got to do what's best for you know, the money and all that stuff and the play and the professionals, and that's every kid's dream. But clearly, if they would have stayed in Tucson, they'd probably win the conference this year, next year, and the year after. <laughs> because they're really good players. But they're freshmen, and you're going up against guys who are two, three years in a program and in a system and that much more mature that they're probably better at the time, even though they're not better pro prospects. And they may not be pro prospects at all. So to think that, oh, well, we've got this coach's kid who's going to come in and do this, this, and this. Yeah, 
right off the bat? You're telling me a, a two-year player is going to go in his third year, is not going to be better, and can help your team? And it's really plagued Larry's program. To the point where it's basically put it uh, almost to, I don't know if you'd agree with this, and maybe you would, some people would, it's either uh, put up or shut up next season for Kristobiak and the Utes. Because they ain't going five years without making the NCAA tournament and having been able to survive your job. So I really feel for Larry as he tries to put the program on the right track. You know, in any other time, I'd say five years, no way. But two years ago, I would have said four years, no way. I just... Before I make any dramatic pronouncements, I'm trying to cut back on the number of dramatic pronouncements I make. It's too unpredictable a time. I just wonder what the financial situation is going to be like at schools and if they're going to want to buy people out. You know, if you got $6 million left on your contract, I don't know what Larry will have left, but round numbers, that's probably bar, ballpark. If you got $6 million left on your contract, does Booster come up with $6 million to buy that out like it's, you know, 2017? Or... Has the school got way more important uses for those six million bucks? Yeah, but I think that where you're not looking at, so the six million dollars may be the shorter, uh, lesser amount of losses because if you have three thousand people and they keep coordinating and curtaining off the Huntsman Center, uh, would you make more money by bringing in a coach who can rejuvenate uh, what's rejuvenate the program? and get people excited, start winning, because you're, you're, I don't think you're accounting for the money that you're losing through a lack Empty of attendance seats. and all the stuff yeah. that goes through. So and, and, and NCA bids and what they call them, units that you can get right. and all that stuff. And so that's up for I – mean, I hope Larry makes a tournament next year. I like the guy. Uh, but if they don't, that's up to Harlan to figure out you know, what is the balance here? Would I actually save money by making a change? It's not just the $6 million, It's over here, all this stuff, and I don't know what they get, uh, how much money they're losing if they have uh, 10,000 people at a game versus 5,000. You know, what, what that dollar figure is, I don't know what that is, but that's going to be continue, continue to be an issue unless they win. And we know full well the second the U of U starts winning in basketball, the line is out the door. We've seen it for 60 years or 50 years in that Huntsman Center, and we will see it again. We may see it next year, but we will see it again because that's too great of a program and too great of a fan base for that program to be down. I can remember when they came into the conference and I was talking to uh, a conference member, a guy who works for the conference, and he said, oh, we're not worried about Utah. I mean, they were down big time when Larry took over, right? We know that. But we're not worried about them. We know that they'll be back because fan base, uh, kids want to play when they look up in the stands and see people in there and people that be excited about their program and it matters in the community. And he ended up being right. And now that's slipped a little bit again. Although it'll be interesting to see how long this uh, reduction of fans or if any fans are allowed in stadiums and arenas and so forth. Does that really, does that, like the U of A, they, 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 have, they really cash in on all those old-timers who go to the games. Right. Because every game is full, and it's a big, big deal in Tucson. It's the biggest show that they have. And if there's not fans, would that reduce one of their big advantages? I guess we'll see as time goes on. DJ and PK, it's 97.5 and 1280 The Zone. The Rock Monster, coming up in 15 minutes. Stay with us. 
Take the zone with you wherever you go. Let's go. Download the all-new Zone Sports Network app on your phone and get live streaming of the zone as well as podcast editions of every show. From Salt Lake to Shanghai, Provo to Portugal, or Ogden to Oslo, wherever you go, we'll tag along. Let's go. Download the new Zone app by searching Zone Sports Network wherever you shop for apps. It's the Zone Sports Network app. From 97.5, 1280, The Zone, and The Zone Sports Network. DJ and PK, it's 97.5 and 1280, The Zone. PK, the Washington Post, with a story this morning. The headline, John Stockton deserved better from the last dance. It's going to make Jazz fans feel very good about their hero. No, he didn't. <laughs> yeah, that's, what they, that's what the guy in the post wrote, who, as far as I know, they, has no ties to Utah. But that's so condescending. That's assuming Stockton had, didn't get his due. When I read that, I was furious. Stockton has gotten plenty of due by the people who really know. That was a little pat on the and way to go, Johnny. Nice career you had out there in no man's land. Get out of town, man. He's an all-timer. Everybody knows about John Stockton. He didn't get his due. Are you kidding me? He didn't get disrespected. Peyton got disrespected. Uh, Clyde Drexler got disrespected. Yes, Carl Malone did. got disrespected. That, that, that's ridiculous. That was so patronizing. There's a, Stockton has gotten plenty of due. Barkley, one of the five greatest players I've played with. Chris Weber, oh, he'd show up in a minivan, pull out his, take out his kids, and then go bust you up. Yeah. Come on, That's everybody who knew. That was actually a good, good quote from Weber. <laughs> well, it's true. I know. But, well, who, who thinks that Stockton is underappreciated? Nobody who has any idea. Ben That's Gulliver some guy does. in D.C. thinking that the world revolves around them because it's a much bigger area i get it and then stockton oh man come on we all know how great he was he left everything out there he doesn't need to accomplish anything more his accomplishments speak for themselves i couldn't disagree more ap fact check ben gulliver has been on this show he lives in la Yeah, but he's writing for a DC He writes audience. for the Washington Post. He can live in Mars for all I care. I don't care. <laughs> nah. <laughs> should get Ben back on the show. That'd be news. And we're, I get what back. he's doing, and I don't have a problem with his concept, but I really believe Stockton has received a ton of of credit as he should he's a first ballot hall of famer he's one of the all-time greatest players all-star teams all nba two trips to the olympics he's on the dream team you can't really say he was overlooked would we say that career. about anybody else who had his credentials uh well i think that was the point of the story was that for guys of the 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 guys of that era got more of a shout out now granted a lot of it was negative um, you know, I mean, looking at the iPad, laughing at Gary Payton, that's that pretty harsh. And Drexler, that was very dismissive of Drexler. Same level. <laughs> right, right. But at the same time, even though it's negative, Jordan feels the need to let you know, no, he wasn't that good. There was a separation where Stockton was just kind of glossed over. Malone, yeah, because no. Malone had the 97 Stockton, MVP and that motivated Jordan. Right, so Stockton never took anything from Jordan. Malone did. Right. 
Right. And John didn't go on an interview and suggest he could, like Peyton, and he didn't have other people in basketball suggesting he could, which is what Drexler had. It wasn't anything Drexler said. It was what, you know, other people in there, either around the league or in the media or fans said about Drexler. And he also didn't walk up yeah. to MJ and say, hey, you retired. Why'd you retire like a certain Brian Russell did? <laughs> Brian Russell got more run. I get what the premise is doing to try to pump up Stockton, but I don't think that he needs any pumping up. And if Stockton had been in New York or he had been, let's see, even up the coast in uh, Oakland uh, or Miami, maybe even Dallas, but the fact that it's in Salt Lake, it's an, uh, to me, I took it as another slight, a slight – it's the Gordon Hayward thing. Hey, I can't get what I want, and I want to be getting all this publicity, and I want all this uh, renown coming my way, and I'm not going to get it here. And, you know, he felt, uh, Gordon felt disrespected something at the All-Star game that I heard some cockamamie story. And so that really bothers me that because you can get everything that you want right here with the Jazz. You don't need to go to fill in the blank wherever and get more. Westbrook got it in Oklahoma City in terms of publicity. Now, you know, title's another story. You got to have the best players and all that stuff. But as far as individual acclaim, you can get whatever you want right here. And I don't I see I don't think that he meant to do it by any stretch. I'm not accusing him of anything. And I look at things differently. We all know that. That's the way I took it. Is that, oh, yeah, he was out there and nobody really paid attention and because it's Salt Lake in the middle of nowhere, the crossroads to nowhere. You're eight hours from any place and now six hours from Vegas. Vegas has grown up a little bit, so somehow we've become closer. Uh, but, you know, Denver into the west, what, 13 hours to the Bay Area or Sacramento, whatever you want. So we're kind of stuck and don't nobody cares about going north. So we're out here where people don't pay attention to us. That's the way I took it. Stockton has gotten as much acclaim as he could possibly handle, and he's earned it all. So I've got no problem with him getting it. That's the way I took it, and other people are going to take it differently. I get it. Well, for an audience that doesn't know because it's 20 years later, I think at the time Stockton got a lot of run uh, but he's not getting a lot now. That's how I took it. Was you know? Oh, well, who's getting a lot run now? Well, just in the he got less run in the ten episodes than the other guy about his greatness. I mean, he did get interviewed, so you know, his take. He got interviewed. Uh, yeah. Barkley didn't get interviewed. True story. Did he? No. Yeah. No. Right, and that guy's a publicity hound. Right, but Jordan's, they, they but Jordan's they, got a feud with Barkley because Barkley criticized Jordan's management slash ownership. He criticized as well he should. Criticized the team's record. Yeah, they've been to three playoffs in what is he owned the team 13, 14 years, something like that. They've been to the playoffs three times. They had a seven and fifty nine record. At they've one lost point. all three and they were swept in two of them. That's, yeah, Adam Morrison, much, Michael Kidd, Gilchrist. I mean, come on. Yeah. Uh, given the, all that money, who was the dude? Rozier that he just gave all the money to uh, and let Kemba Walker go. He sucks as a manager. I mean, let's call it like it is. <laughs> your record, was it uh, Tony Dungy or whoever said, your record uh, speaks for who you are? It, that's the way we judge people. Yeah. What, what's your record? It's nice in colleges. Oh, yeah, you graduated. That's good. You graduated 105% of your students. Now, what's your record? <laughs> DJ and PK, so. 97.5 at 1280 The Zone. Brad Rock is coming up next.